Welcome to Michiana Conversations on the Porch. The following episode was recorded a little over two years ago, but due to my own issues, it's just now getting introduced to you. In this episode, I'm speaking with Susan Grootman of Sunchoke Farms. I hope you enjoy. Hi, everyone. I'm here. This is Michiana Conversations on the Porch, and I'm here with Susan Greitman from Sunchoke Farms. Hello. Hi. How are you today? I am doing really well. So tell me a little bit about Sunchoke Farms. All right. Well, we are an urban farm in South Bend's near Northwest neighborhood. We um, farm five urban lots there. Um, Three of them were previously vacant lots and two of them are attached to our home lot. Um, We're actually really excited to be here today um, to talk to you we are truly a family farm. So we have eight children. We're homeschooling this year. When I told my kids I was gonna come talk to South Bend Rocks today, they're like, ooh, South Bend Rocks. I don't think they have any diamonds, but maybe they have lime, maybe some obsidian. <laughs> I really didn't have the heart to tell them that, um, that it wasn't actually rocks. But, um, but yeah, they were, they were happy, <laughs> excited about that. I was excited that you were coming today. I know we had to put it off a couple times, but um, so what made you decide, even though you live in the city, what made you decide to start a farm? Well, we have, I've actually always wanted a farm, um, but life never really took me that direction. Um, Before moving to the NNN, we lived on the east side of South Bend for a while. Um, by Edison Ironwood area and we actually when we moved we really wanted to buy a farm Um, we looked in you know south of South Bend we looked in southern Michigan we looked all around um, and we actually had offers in on several farms but everything fell through and um, we ended up renting a house in the meantime because our house sold over in the near northwest neighborhood and while we were there renting, we really fell in love with the neighborhood and area. It's just such a diverse community, so colorful. Um, we had always felt kind of out of place in the city because we did like to grow things. Um, we kind of, you know, were like that oddball in like a perfectly cut neighborhood. But in the end, and end, we said like, wow, this is a sort of place that we could really fit in and we could belong in a neighborhood like this. Um, it was, you know, no one was going to look down on us for um, having, you know, weeds in our lawn or something <laughs> like that. So um, when the opportunity arose, we actually moved out of our rental into one of the NNN homes, and it was a home on a triple lot. And so from there, we started an urban homestead, um, and we had, you know, chickens and fruit trees and gardens, and it was a good hobby for us at the time. Um, 
my husband has a background in environmental engineering and he worked for the city of South Bend for a while. Nice. Um, when he lost his job with the city of South Bend after being at the wastewater treatment plant for 10 years, um, he had a couple other jobs, but they didn't actually weren't a good fit for him. He found himself in a situation where he was being overworked 70 hours a week, a lot of anxiety, a lot of pressure, and not a lot of support. And he, his health actually started to suffer from the stress and anxiety of this constantly working and not getting anywhere. And he really wanted to do a good job, but the tools and support weren't there from, from the company he was working with. And so um, we just kind of had to take back a step back and say, it's not worth it. You know, we wanted quality of life for ourselves and our family over the rat race of some of these jobs. Um, and so at that point, we just took the plunge and we took our hobby and made it into a full-time family business. Um, because I was the one who over all of these years had been doing all the study, all the garden trials, all of those things, I kind of took the helm in the garden planning um, my background is elementary education, so I was a fifth grade teacher previously. Um, I did some homeschooling. We had our kids in school for a while. We're back to homeschooling now, and um, I think that learning how to run a business, learning how to market a business kind of fit in a little bit with my elementary school mm -hmm. background and working with people and speaking, um, whereas my husband has a a Bachelor of Science and he has really delved into the soil biology of things and plants and best practices as far as regenerative agriculture and things like that and so really it's been a great fit for us um, it's actually helped us grow a lot as a couple um, and strengthened our marriage to actually be working together with our various strengths and and having our children home and they're able to help and learn from this. Um, it's really been a wonderful positive experience. You mentioned having your children home. Um, you have eight children. I do. And they range in ages from nine months mm -hmm. to, to 16. 16. Yeah. Do they, aside from the nine month old of course, do they each have their own jobs on the farm or do they wake up in the morning and after school um, just kind of do what needs to be done. So definitely with a large family, you can imagine we do, or I do, a lot of management. I call myself the director of operations at the farm, also like the head <laughs> mom. So people have schoolwork to do, they have house chores to do, and then there's various farm assignments depending upon age. Um, my nine-year-old will take care of the chickens and the ducks. Um, we actually don't have ducks right now, but we're hoping someday to get ducks. He really wants ducks, but that's kind of his part. And then he helps with harvesting a couple of days a week. Um, we have a 12 year old who actually has learned how to grow the microgreens. And so I work with him on a regular basis and we work together to water the microgreens and seed the microgreens and do the trays. Um, my 14-year-old used to do the chickens. He's now outgrown that and passed that chore on, but he does a lot of the harvesting. So he is really great at knowing now when something is ready to pick, how to pick it to keep it good. Um, and so the kids do a lot of the harvesting work. Um, my husband and I will do most of the seeding and cultivating sort of things. Um, everything is done by hand. So when you think of a farm, you might think of like tractors and cows and stuff. 
actually, quick side, we have a joke in our house that we're not a real farm because we don't have cows. <laughs> um, you see, my son, now he's nine, but when he was in kindergarten, he went to St. Joe for kindergarten. And you always learn about community helpers in kindergarten. And one of our community helpers are farmers. And so when these kindergartners are learning about community helpers and farmers, they see like the red barns and the cows and all this. Mm. And I was talking to him after school and I said, well, you know, we're farmers. We grow food for people to eat. And he said, no, mom, we're not real farmers because we don't have cows. <laughs> so there you go. Um, nonetheless, we do grow lots of fresh, beautiful vegetables uh, for people to eat. And we're now kind of beyond that joke. But yes, the kids have learned a lot about how the plants grow and and how we take care of them and they do a lot of of harvesting animal work and then just general chores around the house and and obviously also helping out with their younger siblings if i need to go out and and run like the tine weeder which is like a a rake with lots of little fingers on it mm -hmm. we use a weeding like i said everything is done by hand tools for us so it's very much to a human scale so i might have like five beds i need to run this tine rake through then I can, if I don't want to put the baby on my back, I just will leave her with my 16-year-old while I run one block down the road to the field and, and run the tide weeder through. Um, and we have different tasks like that that are scheduled out throughout the season because um, that's how we deal with weeds. Everything is, is done by hand. It's either tarped or whatever. Um, and we always use organic methods for things. So we use row covers and um, silage tarps and all these different means of keeping the bugs out, keeping the vegetables, you know, in good shape as much as possible. So no sprays? No, the only sprays we would do, and we always laugh that our neighbors are going to see us someday, but we'll do foliar feeds. So what that is, is it's a, a natural fertilizer, like a seaweed type fertilizer or something. Okay. And we'll come through for certain crops like um, beets and Swiss chard really love a foliar spray about halfway through their growing. Um, and so we will actually um, f spray them with a foliar feed to help nourish them and help them grow better. But it's, it's completely natural and um, we're not putting pesticides in there, no. What else makes food organic besides the fact that you don't use pesticides? So it actually has to do with your inputs. Um, right now, organic is a tricky thing in the vegetable world because the USDA several years ago took over organic and they said, I am now going to let you know what can be organic and what cannot. So the USDA has a certified organic program and in that program, they have a list of things that say, you can use all of these products and still be considered certified organic, and you can not use any of these products. And so technically, a farmer could spray um, a natural pesticide on their fields, but because it's natural, like derived from chrysanthemums or something like that, or maybe it's a natural bacteria, like a Bt, Mm -hmm. BT is a natural bacteria that you can spray on your crops that will then, if the worms eat the BT sprayed crops, the worms will die. So it's a pesticide, but it's a natural pesticide, so therefore it's safe for certified organic use, which I know I see the skeptical look on your face, right? That's how I feel like, 
okay so I can spray this pesticide which kills bugs but I can still be organic when I do that so when I'm going to the store and I'm buying organic produce it could technically have certain pesticides on it that are just that the USDA said are safe for organic use um, and that's kind of where the government is in this. Um, a lot of small growers choose not to go through the certification for organic use. And there's often two reasons to that. Um, one, for business purposes, it's very expensive to be certified organic. Mm -hmm. um, that you have to pay the government a lot of money to get the label, and then there's like all sorts of questions and paperwork. I mean, if you had a big farm and you had employees to do paperwork for you, <laughs> then it you could probably make it work for you, but when you're doing everything yourself, uh, it's a lot of paperwork and a lot of money. The other reason that some people choose not to do it is they want their consumers to realize that there's more value to things than just saying I'm certified organic. They want you to realize the value in knowing your farmer and having a transparent relationship with your farmer where they can say to you, hey, this is um, you know, the type of broccoli that I'm growing. Mm -hmm. This is how I'm growing it. You know, Earlier in the season, we tested our soil and we saw that we were deficient in boron and magnesium. So we added boron and magnesium to our soil in this particular percentage to help balance out our soil nutrients. And then we used um, organic chicken manure to add nitrogen to our soil to grow this broccoli. And, um, and then you're communicating with them. And they might even say to you, especially if you're part of a, a vegetable share program or community support agriculture, hopefully they'll be transparent enough for you to, they might say, hey, we had a row cover on this to keep out the, the moths. Unfortunately, some got in and we saw that we were having some um, caterpillar damage or what is it called cabbage moth a cabbage moth damage mm -hmm. on our broccoli so we went ahead and we used an organic pesticide on this broccoli and so we're letting you know that we used an organic pesticide because we were noticing the damage and we had to make that decision for you that we decided that you'd probably rather have broccoli that had an organic pesticide on it than not have broccoli at all right um, and so you know, if you can have that relationship with your farmer where they're communicating to you these things and being upfront and honest, it seems like it's so much more valuable than a certified organic label. Um, if you can do both, that's great too. There are some small farms who are certified organic and then you know at least they're using the list of organic stuff. Um, but it goes that way too. Um, so we did do our soil test this year. And we did find out that a couple of our gardens, because we do them, we do like th three tests for each of our locations, each location gets a test, um, needed phosphorus. And when we contacted our soil amendment place, they're like, oh, I'm not sure if we have an organic amendment for phosphorus, because we always ask for the organic amendments. Okay. And they said, we're gonna check and see. And I said, let us know. But if they don't have the organic amendment for phosphorus, we might have to get the non-organic amendment for phosphorus, in which we would say, you know, well, where is this coming from? We want to just make sure there's no other byproducts and stuff in it. But then that's something that we can pass along and say, hey, you know, we did get the organic magnesium and boron, but maybe the phosphorus that we needed was not organic, but we decided it'd be better to balance out our soil nutrients anyway by putting that in there. So just so you know, sort of thing. Um, 
a lot of people are really understanding and they really appreciate like knowing, yeah, I gave this thought, I went through this process, um, and then I'm thinking about it. Yeah, it's nice to have a personal touch, knowing where your food comes from, I think, and yeah. that your, your farmer wants you to know, hey, this is what's going on. Right. So I, I think people would be understanding about that. Um, you mentioned chicken manure. How much chicken manure do chickens actually put out? Um, Quite a bit. Chickens poop like any other animal, but um, you actually, it's a natural fertilizer. So if you use an organic chicken manure, it's a great way to naturally add some nitrogen to your soil to give the plants a little bit of a boost um, as they're pulling in nutrients, especially if you're doing succession crops. Mm -hmm. So if we plant broccoli and then maybe the broccoli is followed by lettuce, which is maybe followed by beets or something like that in the same location, we need to add in nutrients before the next crop because that first crop has used up a lot of that nitrogen in the soil. Um, but chickens, yeah, they poop, you know, they poop quite a bit. <laughs> Do you have to, the succession, is that um, like the farmers, the huge farmers, where they plant corn one year and then plant soybeans the next? It's kind of like that, but it's definitely more on a small, more human scale, and it's not quite the same. So corn is a grain mm -hmm. and soybeans are a legume. Right. And so they rotate those just to kind of keep the soil from going any worse than they probably could from doing all those row croppings of the same crop over and over. Right. Um, if they do it right, the legumes will put um, some nutrients back into the soil. They're not as heavy of a feeder as the corn. Mm -hmm. And the corn's a really heavy feeder. So it helps to kind of balance out the soil. But when we do it, we actually do it over the course of one season. Oh, So wow. early in the season, we'll plant, like I said, I guess I use the example of broccoli, but mm -hmm. um, broccoli grows well in cool weather. So we could probably plant the broccoli, say in April, it's gonna take like, we'll do it from transplants. So we'll start the seeds inside like a month before, say March, and then we'll plant it outside in April. Maybe it's 50 days, which is just shy of two months. Mm -hmm. And then we're gonna harvest the broccoli and then in that same location then we'll go through and we will um, replant that same bed with something else. Let's say now this time we're planting it in beets. And so um, the beets are directly seeded for us. We don't start those indoors. So we'll directly seed it in beets. Beets are another 50 days, which is another two months. And so then we're harvesting the beets. And then let's say we want a fall crop of something like a cabbage we would have started the cabbage inside ahead of time and had little plants to put out. So when the beets are all gone from that area, we rework the bed and then we plant it in cabbage, which is, depending upon the variety, it could be anywhere from like 43 to 70 days on the cabbage. And then that will take us into the fall. Cabbage can take a light frost and then, you know, when we get cabbage, so we can actually grow three vegetables in the same space over the course of one season. So over six months, you have grown a whole salad. Almost, yeah, and it really depends what it is. So like Brussels sprouts are like 110 days. So you can't put a whole lot more mm -hmm. in that row besides the Brussels sprouts. Um, but radishes are only 21 days. 
So you could do <coughs> radishes followed by lettuce, followed by turnips, maybe even one more because those are all really short season things. Um, and so yeah, we just have, we have a very intense garden plan system so that on our half an acre that we're working on by succession cropping, um, we're able to grow a lot of food in a short period of time in a small space. That is amazing. What was the most <coughs> excuse me, difficult thing that you found when starting the farm? Well, there definitely were a few different things that were learning curves for us. Um, one was the business aspect of it, like I touched on earlier. I had never run a small business before, and so I had to think about you know, marketing, communications, um, emails, I set up a website, all those sorts of things that you kind of forget, you know, like, I just want to grow food for people. <laughs> but if people don't know that you exist, then they can't actually get your food from you. Mm -hmm. So you have to make yourself known. Um, that was one learning curve for us. The other one was scaling up. So we had been growing vegetables for over a decade just for our family. But going from a 10-foot by 4-foot garden bed of tomatoes to like 150 tomato plants, in a, you know, is, it's just different. You do things differently. So um, trellising things gets to be differently. Even, even learning how to do things more efficiently. You know, when you're sitting out in the field and you're picking turnips, and you're counting how many turnips of what size in a bunch, rubber banding the bunch and moving on. Mm -hmm. You know, um, to do like a hundred bunches of turnips in an hour is should be pretty normal. But you have to get that motion down and that procedure down and all of these things when you make that scale. Um, so that was the other thing is jumping scale. And then also learning um, how to deal with some insects. You know, like I didn't really worry about flea beetles before. And I didn't even know flea beetles existed until I became a farmer. And they're very, very small, almost microscopic little black things. And they love to eat little holes in um, brassicas, so like arugula. They love arugula. And so we had some really holy arugula this last year because we put a little cover over it that's supposed to keep the flea beetles out, but it didn't work after a while. You know, it worked in the spring. By the time we got to summer, you know, the flea beetles were like making really lacy arugula. And I just had to say to our customers, you know, there's flea beetles, and we wash we wash them all off. So you're not going to get any flea beetles on your arugula, but you're going to see the holes where they mm -hmm. ate it. So just know, we didn't spray it. It's it's organically grown, and um, and it must have been really tasty because <laughs> the flea beetles were eating through it. So you know, and then going into this year now, okay, so flea beetles were bad last year. What can I do this year to prevent the flea beetles? And the thing that we found out about that I'm kind of excited about is um, beneficial nematodes, mm -hmm. which is, who knows what that is, right? So it's actually s microorganisms that live in the soil, and it has to do with the soil biology, and they are actually like the good bugs that eat the bad bugs before they hatch mm -hmm. and get into your plants. So these beneficial nematodes, and you can look it up. I'll tell you, when I first read about it, it was one of those things that this is so cool, but so gross. Like, it's so gross, but it's cool. Um, because the pictures of them, they're kind of like ugly things. And they actually break into the shells of the larva 
and eat it from the inside out. Ew. But then that larva That's can't cool. grow into the flea beetles that then eat your crops. So just like how you might buy a box of ladybugs mm-hmm. to put in a greenhouse to take care of some of the bad bugs, like the aphids or such, because the ladybugs eat the aphids, you can put um, beneficial nematodes, you can actually water them into your soil. And they will actually eat the larva of some of these other bad bugs that then might hatch and eat your plants. And this is another one of those like organic methods. You're increasing your soil biology, and by having a good soil biology, you get healthier plants and less insect pressure. Um, that actually sounds super cool. Doesn't it sound super cool? Yeah. I mean, it was gross to read about how they like <laughs> eat each other gross. from the inside out. Yeah. But it is. It's really awesome that, you know, nature has a way. And if we're trying to get back to nature and back to, like, you know, healthy plants, not mm-hmm. just feeding them chemicals, then they're going to be so much better and they're going to be healthier. And we don't have to worry about that insect damage. So we'll see how it goes. We're going to try it this year. We'll still do our row covers because um, that is really great for the cabbage moths because those come from above. Yes. But for some of the things that come from below, we're going to try the beneficial nematodes. That's awesome. I'm definitely going to look at that this afternoon. Um, You said something earlier about vegetable shares. Mm -hmm. That's something you do, correct? It is, yes. So we offer a vegetable share. Some people will call it a farm share. Some people call it a CSA, which stands for Community Supported Agriculture. And that just means... Um, we are opening up our farm for members and you kind of buy in as a member of the mm-hmm. farm. You pay some money up front and that helps us with our upfront spring expenses because we always have more to buy than we realize in the spring, whether it's more row cover, all of the seeds we need to get. Um, mm-hmm. This year we had some tool upgrades, like you know, we needed a few other of our hand tools. Um, either we needed a couple more because we only had one and there's two people who needed them or maybe it was a, a new tool we were trying out. So, or even harvest crates. I need to order harvest crates soon. Um, but nonetheless, we always have spring expenses. And so we ask you know, the community, help us with our spring expenses and in exchange, we will give you a bag of vegetables every week for 22 weeks throughout our growing season. And so we have our vegetable share is currently open. We're about half full at this point than we're talking. Um, and we're really excited about it. Um, we're, you're going to get seasonal vegetables, whatever is fresh in season. So you'll start out with green onions and radishes and salad mix. And then you're going to work your way all the way through um, peas, green beans, zucchini, kale, tomatoes, cucumbers, all the way through to like pumpkins and winter squash and Brussels sprouts in the fall. Um, And so we tried to choose a variety of things that everybody loves, um, your normal vegetables, because my goal is to feed people, like feed a family, you know? I'm not feeding those five-star restaurants who want weird things. (laughs) I am feeding my children and my neighbors and my community. And so we have orange carrots and (laughs) you're not, you know, I do like colored carrots too, but you know, we have orange carrots and, well, there's two things I kind of made exceptions for, was tomatoes. Um, we have some lovely heirlooms we picked out this year that we're starting from seed. Mm. So we will have, you know, striped tomatoes and yellow tomatoes and purple tomatoes and just big, beautiful heirloom tomatoes. And then the one other exception 
and of course my farmer friends are going to laugh at me for this, is I chose a burgundy cauliflower. So we have regular white cauliflower, but we also have a sprouting cauliflower, which is a deep purple color. And that was my one exception this year because I just looked at it and I said, oh, that looks so cool. That's so cool. I got to try that. So we'll grow just a little bit of it because I know not everyone's going to want purple cauliflower. But I thought, just that one thing. Like, give me just this one thing this year to try. <laughs> How much are your vegetable shares? So a vegetable share for one share is $594, which comes out to $27 a week throughout the season. Um, and you're going to get six to eight items a week. That's amazing. And we figure it's probably between, because someone asked me poundage once. I'm like, oh, poundage, I don't know. We figure it's between six to 10 pounds of food. That's amazing. Um, obviously, if you're getting a pumpkin, it's going to be a lot more because last year our pumpkins were like 20 to 30 pounds. So when you have pumpkin week and squash weeks, it's going to be a lot heavier. Um, but yeah, it comes out to $27 a week throughout the season. And um, yeah, we're super excited just to feed people. That's so important to me. I understand that. I like to feed people too <laughs> different ways but um what was your favorite thing about starting the farm maybe not so much starting but what has been your favorite thing over the years just doing the farm you know different times of the season i love different things but ultimately it's the people it's like having customers and having customers say thank you like thank you for for growing what you grow thank you for being here with fresh produce um i think people really appreciate it and so it's been all the customer interactions that i've had with people have been the best like even when i'm out in the field and i'm like i'm picking bunches of carrots like i'm thinking about the customers who are going to buy these carrots and that brings me joy thinking about the people who will eat the food that i'm growing um, it's such a beautiful thing. Um, we sell at the South Bend Farmers Market, and we've made a lot of, you know, new customers and new friends there. But we also sell at Porridge Farm Stands, and I think that one's a little bit closer to my heart. Um, it's a very small seasonal market in the near Northwest neighborhood, so it's literally two blocks from our house. It's right across from um, the Pay It Forward Coffee Shop called mm -hmm. the Local Cup, and by the neighborhood offices there. And it's, it's small, but a lot of the customers actually walk to the market. And it's a lot of people who don't always have access to fresh food there. It's actually a food desert in our neighborhood. Um, we used to have a Martin store on Portage, and yes. it closed down. And then it was Portage Meat Market, and that has closed down. So people in our neighborhood who don't have access to transportation, they have to take the bus all the way up to Myers and Walmart and Portage um, or that's like that's the bus route. That's like the only bus route that they can actually get to the grocery mm -hmm. store. If they walk, there is a save a lot over by St. Hedwig's. That's about a mile and a half from our neighborhood. So they could walk a mile and a half. That's the nearest grocery store. Um, the other Martins and Ironwoods about three miles, mm -hmm. and it's probably about three miles up to the Meyer too. Um, so they they can take the bus three miles, or they can walk a mile and a half, um, or they can try to find someone to take them to the store. Um, um, otherwise, it's a gas station or Family Dollar, and and that's it for food in our neighborhood. Um, and this is like, I won't cry, but it's like an inward passion of mine because I see all these kids who don't realize like the value of fresh food um, because they don't have access to it on a regular basis. Yeah. And all these elderly people who don't have consistent transportation. 
Um, there's, I'll tell you a quick story. There's a man named John. Um, he's an older man. He does not drive. He um, walks with a cane, but he walks well with his cane. He lives about a block from Porridge Farm Stands, and he goes to the coffee shop almost every day that it's open. At least every Saturday morning, I know he goes and he doesn't drink coffee, but he gets a hot chocolate. Um, and he'll sit and have his coffee. Sometimes if the weather is nice, he'll walk with his hot chocolate over to the market and he'll walk around the market. And um, just the sweetest guy. He doesn't always really buy very much, but he always says hello. He's always happy to talk to you. And this last summer, he comes up to me and he says, got any musk melons? And I said, oh, you know, John, I don't have any today, but I know someone who is growing them and I'll bring you one next week. And I think I brought him a, a cantaloupe like every single week for like five weeks in a row. And I had, eventually I brought some for other people too and brought some in. Um, but something about old people and their melons. <laughs> mm -hmm. He was just as happy as to be to get that melon every year. Cause he's like, you know, they just don't taste the same from the grocery store. And, and he's right, you know, to have a fresh melon that's like vine ripened and juicy and sweet is like so good. Melons are one of those things and tomatoes, you know. Mm -hmm. But um, that was one of those things like I'll, I, I'm just looking forward to seeing him again this year. You know, I just love those people who come in and know that I can give them something that they need, something that's going to be good for them. It's going to be healthy. Um, and we can help them out. Um, so yeah, I love I love that neighborhood market and the people who walk there, even the people who don't walk, who just come because it's all small local organic growers and that's who we have there. You know, you can get eggs, you can get meat, you can get produce. Um, and we actually might be adding a baker this year as well. Um, and then 10,000 Villages also comes with their fair trade goods as well. So it is just, it's such a beautiful, beautiful market. Um, the people are wonderful, and, and especially this last year with COVID, um, I think it's what we all needed because it's an outdoor market. We have a whole parking lot, so there's a lot of space. And so people were just really good about staying back and like giving people space and approaching booths one at a time to buy their things. And, um, and everyone was just so, just so loving, I guess, in a way. Like we were just really, you know, it showed the, the goodness of the community. And so, yeah, my heart is really at that market. And, and we do our best uh, to be able to, to sell to those who need it most. So we, uh, we take WIC checks as oh, well good. at the market. So all the vendors who sell fresh produce um, take WIC checks. And we um, have been approved for EBT, the SNAP program, but mm -hmm. we're still waiting on our equipment. So. I've been in contact with a lady in Indianapolis working on trying to get that equipment. And so I'm really hopeful that by, by the time we open in May, um, we'll be able to accept the, the SNAP as well. That is So that great. our neighbors who are on food stamps can come and use them at the market for fresh produce too. Um, that like is I said, amazing. It's, yeah, it's really part of like my heart and mission just to, to feed people who need fresh, healthy food because everyone, everyone deserves like good food it is I think a basic human right and I feel like it's kind of being taken from some people who live in these areas where there's not options for them to get to it I mean it's not their fault they don't have transportation all the time um, and so anything that we can do even if it's just six months a year 
it's still six months a year it is. that we can get them fresh food. Yeah, I think that with the fresh food, sometimes we should offer classes on maybe canning or freezing things for the six months that it's not offered or there's not fresh food. Right, right. So yeah. I have been in contact with Purdue Extension about some of those things because they do offer education. And I know they've kind of scaled back and gone to a lot of virtual things mm -hmm. with the pandemic. Um, and the WIC office also offers education. But I'm hoping that if things kind of clear up this summer, we can have a representative at the market and we c they can kind of do a demonstration or somehow say, you know, this is what's in season right now. Here's how you can prepare, you know, salad turnips or whatever it is so that people can start to learn those things. Um, you know, as a farmer and as a former teacher, like I love the education aspect and I do bring that into my vegetable share. We do videos and recipes and things like that, but it's hard for me to take it to the market because I'm just one person yes. and I can only do so much at one time. Um, I can offer recipe cards, but to, to be there and sell and educate at the same time is too much for me yes. personally. But anyone that, um, any of these organizations who do that already, to partner with them, that's really, that's really my goal is to, to bring them in there and kind of help with that aspect because especially, like I said, some of the, the children or the younger people, um, I find the older people all know how to cook because they were taught how to cook when they were younger, but the younger people don't. And, it, you know, and giving them a bunch of turnips, they might not know what to do with it. But if they can be told what to do and showed, they might find they really like it. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it's definitely a matter of education, too. Yes. Um, I won't take up too much more of your time, but do you have a couple more questions? As a mom of eight, um, tell me what advice you would give other moms about finding a little bit of time for yourself every week. Maybe not every week, but once in a while. Yeah, well, personal care is super important and it's something like I've probably struggled with personal care for a long time because I have, um, I've had little children for like the last 16 years. I've had at least like a two-year-old in tow. Um, and so there's definitely always a balance to find, and I find a lot of it is actually in my mindset and the way that I think about things. You know, if I can be positive with myself and positive with my family, I'm gonna feel better. And when you feel better, you're naturally gonna take better care of yourself. Um, and so I try to make sure that I'm always drinking enough water, that I'm getting healthy meals in. We sit down for meals as a family, and that is huge for three, day, three times a day that we are all sitting down at the table and we're all eating together. So you know mm -hmm. that I'm eating, the kids are eating, everyone is eating, and then we're just serving healthy foods, um, drinking plenty of water, you know, we take our vitamins. Um, and, then, and then part of the other balance is like making sure I'm getting fresh air and activity and it's not just work, you know, not just going out to pick vegetables, but like we're going to the park together, or we're taking a walk or we're playing a family game if it's winter. And a lot of that is just keeping a good schedule and being disciplined to that schedule and just kind of saying, okay, you know, work is done. And remember, my family comes first. Like as much as I love my farm and I love our mission of feeding people, um, I'm doing this for my family. 
for the quality of life that it gives us and that we can make our own hours. And so therefore, I need to be in charge of my own hours and say, okay, I'm done for the day. And now it's time for this. Or even in the middle of the day to say, you know, I know I need to go start a tray of seedlings. However, I'm going to sit and read a book to my two-year-old first because he needs the cuddles and we need to read together. And that tray of seedlings, I can do that later. And that's okay. And just giving myself permission to say, that's okay. Um, I think oftentimes we're raised in such a way that we feel like we're not enough. You know, like you're not doing enough. We don't always realize how worthy we are and our personal value. Like, I am worthy of taking a half hour shower if I want to. I am worthy of sitting down for a good meal. I am worthy of, you know, whatever it is, taking a walk because I need some fresh air. Like, I should not feel guilty about that, um, about taking care of myself. You know, if I take care of myself so I can take care of my family. And then, and then together we, we do our work together. And um, I've really kind of stepped away from mom guilt too. You know, sometimes I have that mom guilt where I say, well, I, I have to make that choice where, you know, I realize that you do want a story right now, and, um, but I have to do this other thing instead. But I'm not going to feel guilty about it because I know that we have read stories before and we will read stories again. And, and I love you and I have that time for you but I'm going to choose this right now. So it's a lot in the mindset and making those positive choices and not feeling guilty about it, just knowing that we're loving each other. I love myself. I love my children. We're working together. And, um, and I'm worthy of, of whatever I need at the time to take care of myself. And I'm not going to feel guilty that I need to take a shower and maybe the baby's fussing. Well, you know what? She's going to be okay with her dad for that time that I need to go take a shower and she will be fine and I'm not going to feel guilty about it I'm just going to do what I need to do um, and, and work through it and give myself that time for, for self care because um, all those moms, all of us like we all have heavy plates That's that was given to us when we became a parent it was all those heavy plates and all those responsibilities and um, having the mindset of just not letting yourself feel guilty, knowing that you're worthy of your care, you're worthy of that good food. Um, it's, it's really a game changer mentally for you. And just to keep reminding yourself, however you need to do it, that mm -hmm. take care of yourself so you can take care of your family and don't feel guilty. You know that they know that you love them. You know that you love them. Um, your customers know that you care about them, but your customers even want you to take care of yourself and take care of your family. And I think that they realize um, the value in that, your customers mm -hmm. do, and they can see me and say, I feel good buying from you because I know you're a good person, I know you're doing this as a family, I know you're doing the best you can. And really, isn't that what we ask of people, right? Mm -hmm. Just like, do the best you can. That's why I say to my kids all the time, like, I know your schoolwork is hard, just do the best you can. Mm -hmm. And if you do great, great. And if you struggle, I will help you as long as you're trying your best. And I'm proud of you either way. Mm. Some, I think every mom has mom guilt. And that is something that we really have to start fighting against. 
yeah. because I have written in my planner some weeks I put sometimes good enough is good enough because mm -hmm. we really have to just move past that mom guilt. Um, tell me on a scale of one to 10, how weird are you? 11. Are you? Maybe. I try to like act like a seven. Do you? But I, I try to act closer to a seven or eight, maybe. Like only like only a little weird. I try to act only a little weird, so people. You can think a to seven me. or eight is only a little weird? <laughs> on a scale of one to ten, <laughs> I don't know. I try to act only a little weird when I'm probably like really weird. Yeah. Maybe I don't know. It's hard. Isn't that hard to say about yourself? You think it's hard to say that you're only a little weird? No, I think it's hard to guess how weird you are. Like, you can't really know what other people are thinking. Because I think we're all kind of weird in our own way. Mm. Like, we all have our own little quirks, quirks and yeah. things. I actually was on a Zoom call with someone yesterday. If she listens to this, hi, Leslie. Um, but she is interested in urban farming. And so she's going to do this uh, woman in urban agriculture program through Purdue that I recommended to her. And she wants to eventually take it on and leave her day job and become a farmer, which is awesome. And uh, it was kind of, it was very refreshing to say like, she's just as weird as I am almost, you know? Nice. Um, and, and I had to say to her, are you sure you work at such and such place? Because you don't sound like it. She's like, I know, I know. I'm so not like these people, but it pays the bills, you know? And so I'm like, I understand, you know? I understand, like, you have this calling to do more than what you're doing right now. Mm -hmm. and, and it's a beautiful thing, and just work towards it. Um, yeah, we're all weird in different ways. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I'm weird because I've got a bunch of kids. I'm weird because I'm a woman business owner. I'm weird because I'm an urban farmer. I'm weird for a lot of reasons. I mean, I think those things are great. Thanks. So before we wrap up, your website is sunshookfarms.com. Okay. Very simple. Your Instagram page. I think it's just Sunshook Farms. It is. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Is there any other way that people can reach um, you? There's Facebook, sunshookfarms.sb. Okay. Um, and then email is sunshookfarmsoutlook.com. Okay. Yeah. So we do have a monthly newsletter that goes out. So if you go onto our website, you can, um, there's a little box at the bottom, you can subscribe to our monthly newsletter if you wanna keep up with things. And then also, if you're interested in our vegetable share program, there's a form you can fill out on the website. All right, well, it was great talking to you today. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for listening. This has been a presentation of Michiana Conversations on the Porch. Please join me next time.